all got that voice in our head that tells us we can't do stuff. But some people are just better at not listening to it. And by sitting down with those people, asking them questions, and then you know, recording it and blasting it out on the internet, perhaps, maybe, I can help other people like me get out of our own way. Hey guys, welcome back to Closure Optional. I do not have a guest for you this week. It's me on my lonesome. It's about time as well. Uh, I don't know. I try to do this once a, once a month. And uh, yeah, my brain's all over the place for the last few weeks, but it's a good thing. It's because all lots of wonderful things are happening in my life. Lots of change, but lots of all really wonderfully good things. And I'm very happy. So it's good, but I'm going to talk about all of that stuff very soon. Uh, before I get into the podcast, just want to get me normal, uh, you know, business shit out of the way. If you like the podcast and want to support it, you can do that by just liking my pages, Lorna Bremner on Instagram or Facebook, or uh, subscribing to the podcast on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts, or you can support it at patreon.com for five bucks a month. It helps me get all the shit that I need to uh, continue to do the stuff that I love to do. Thank you so much for listening. As always, thank you to all the patrons. You guys are fucking legends. And uh, yeah, today I'm going to be talking about change and also a type of meditation or sort of a little background on a Buddhist meditation that I once got taught when I was living in a tornado of chaos in my own life. So let's just get right after it. Um, dealing with change. So I, I think like the reason why I wanted to talk about this one is so much is changing in my life now. And things seem to be happening like kind of faster than I'm used to. I don't know if this happened to everybody, but most older people I talk to in their kind of like 30s start to feel this sensation of like their brain slows down, they feel more comfortable in themselves, they have a less of a need to impress people or be cool or whatever. But it's kind of like a like life begins now. Because you're not so wrapped up in trying to be a something and figuring out what you are in your 20s and teens. And now it's like, oh, fuck, I know what I am. I'm comfortable here. And now I need to like do the shit I'm supposed to do, whatever that is. And that feels like what's kind of happening with me. It's like I finally, I've kind of just been like a, a self-destructive mess for most of my life. And then in the last, I don't know, two to three years, I've just started to pull my shit together. And in the last three months since I started doing comedy, I just feel so happy. I've got all these little bits of good things that are going on in my life. I make money uh, in little portions and various different things that I get to do. And I get to teach Muay Thai every single day, which is so fun for me. It's physical. I get to train with my friends or myself. I uh, get out of my house and then I get to come home and work on my shit all day. And then I get to go and perform comedy at night. And I couldn't be fucking happier. It's the way that I've constructed this is out of, I guess, like a black hole of chaos. I wasn't happy doing any of the bullshit that I was doing. And 
felt I kind of just sort of felt suffocated and bound by trying to figure out how to live a life that didn't feel like my life. Now, this is all coming across fucking pretentious and privileged, and I know that. But I guess I'm talking to people that are more or less like me. I mean, most of you guys that listen to this podcast are looking for better ways of living a better life. And uh, the good news is if you're young, if you're like in your early 20s, shit is going to get easier. Definitely going to get easier. You just got to get through this part where you feel like you're a fucking maniac. Because you are. And it's really important that you are a maniac for a while. Because if you don't spend the time to know yourself and know what you want and know how to trust your own self, you won't make it to this thing. Usually what happens is that you just latch down into a job that solidifies, latch down into a relationship that solidifies, or a mental state of being or whatever, and then you end up just fucking staring at the walls for the rest of your life. And I feel like we're too good to do that as a general species. Like I think, I think that, I mean, that's a path for many people and not for others or whatever. Sometimes chaos feels way too scary and it's too overwhelming. But anyway, so what I want to talk about today is this concept of change that even me now experiencing basically every single thing that I've spent the last five to seven years of my life trying to figure out how to be, I'm finally doing exactly that which I wanted to do. And I'm still getting resistance. Like, I, I couldn't be fucking happier. And I still have days where I don't know what the fuck is going on. And if I'm okay. And if I'm not okay. And a lot of times I think we spend so much energy trying to force situations, trying to find somebody to love you or find, be seen by people or be respected by people or be understood by people. And I don't know, miraculously, out of nowhere, I, people just appear in your life that are willing to care about you. And I think that usually comes from you sort of just establishing you kind of have to come through chaos to get on the other side of it, to realize that like now you're steady, now you're stable. And I don't know, that's just how it feels for me. So it's interesting for me to observe because it's like, this is the fucking thing that I wanted. This is all I've ever wanted. All of the things that are happening to me right now are all that I've ever wanted. And I still uh, am experiencing strange elements of resistance to it. And so I want to kind of just talk about what that sensation is, what change is like, what it represents, and then what uh, is one way and only one way and certainly not the only right way um, of maybe grounding yourself when things feel a bit fucking chaotic and you're not sure what to do with them. So I, I, the, the impression I get about the human experience is like we are kind of like forever walking a tightrope between chaos or excitement on one side, the unknown, and like the boredom, security, and the known on the other. And our job... Like, and I guess the end of the tightrope is death and the start of it is your birth. Like your whole life is kind of like walking in between those two things and you're just slowly kind of dipping from one side to the other. And maybe a tightrope isn't right because I guess if you fall off, like if, if you even step to the side of it, you're going to go straight down into an abyss. But it's like, maybe it's more like a balance beam. Like you're going to fall off sometimes into chaos or you're going to fall off into boredom and security. And then every once in a while you're going to be like, nah, fuck this. I need to keep going down the beam. And then you'll get back up and kind of pull yourself back together. In fighting, there's a phrase that we use for this and it's called back to the center. And I did an entire podcast about it, so I'm not going to wreck your heads with that. But um, the idea is, in my opinion, I think like what it feels like to me is that without care, 
and focus, it is really easy to fall off of one side or the other all the time. And there are certain things that will kind of kick you from one side to the other. Uh, Some things that can kick you into chaos are unexpected changes, a death in your family or someone close to you, car accidents, um, sickness, that kind of shit, things that you're not ready for, maybe a new job opportunity that you weren't expecting or somebody gives you a chance to, I don't know, do a gig that you didn't think you were ready for, whatever it is. Like So th- any new change that comes into your life is going to be, that is the unknown, that's chaos. And then on the other side is uh, your attachment side. This is like your security. It's buying a house. It's having a long-term partner. It's like... Um, staying in the same job forever. And what always happens to humans and what I I can't fucking understand about us is no matter how good things are, we tend to find a reason why they suck. As soon as we get used to them and they stop being this new, fresh and shiny, exciting thing, we get fucking bored and we start to resent it. I mean, you just have to look at like your family, for example. You love them, but you spend too much time around them and you want to fucking punch them in the face. I don't know if that's everywhere. <laughs> it could just be me. But you get what I mean? Like there is, the, there's this, we have this fucking weird thing that we can't be in all the way in chaos because if we do, we are totally lost and unknown and crazy and secure and don't know what the fuck is happening and we don't progress with our lives. But we can't all be in the known either because then we'll get suffocated and bored. So we have to figure out a way to walk this like middle path or whatever, walk on the tightrope, walk on the balance beam that's in between the two of those things. And it takes focus to do that because the lure of both of them is really great. And an easy example of that is say you've met somebody that you're in love with and you've been together for five years and you have a really strong, loving, bonded relationship and then you start a new job and there's a person at your job that you're attracted to and you the lure of the chaos of that exciting unknown, that person's not any better than the one that you're in love with, but for some reason there has this like lure of exciting unknownness about them and there is a lure to go and fuck them, I guess, and figure out if that's what you want. Most people don't do it because most people understand that like the beauty of the love that you already have is worthwhile, but this is this like gross thing that occurs inside your head like, oh, I wonder what that would be like, Ugh. And it's fucking gross that we do it, but that's like an example of the lure of chaos and security. And then on the other hand, it's the same thing if you say you're single and you've been single for ages and you're doing a bunch of drugs and you're living in Darwin and you don't know what the fuck's going on with yourself, and then you meet somebody who's totally not right for you, but they're at least offering to be a part of your world, and you latch on to them and stay with them for all the wrong reasons because you need security, because everything else in your life is fucked. These, the, the reasons why we make decisions for stuff are so nuanced and varied and so deep psychologically that it's really fucking hard to tell what the objective, correct way to act is. And there is some argument to be said that it doesn't really matter. Whatever action you choose will be the action you choose. And you're going to either learn a lesson from it uh, one way or the other, or you won't. And you're going to repeat the same mistake later. And this is kind of like the whole process of life. This is why it's so fucking weird that we don't know why we're here. We don't understand our own consciousness at all. And we certainly don't understand like why we even have a consciousness. And in my opinion, for some reason, the thing that seems true to me is that it's our job to acknowledge that we are capable of all of these things and we are meant to stay uh, 
we're meant to experience all of them, but continually learn and grow. And I don't know where that leads you. I don't know what's at the end of the fucking balance beam. But, um, and so my idea on this is that death is the ultimate boredom because it's the ultimate black nothingness. But at the same time, it's also the ultimate unknown. So death as a thing is both of our two worst fears merged into one. This is why it's so scary for us. So we're terrified of plunging into chaos. We're also terrified of being suffocated in boredom. So we walk this tightrope towards death, which is, in the end, the ultimate of both of our fears. And that's a fucking weird predicament to be in. (laughs) So no wonder we're fucking maniacs all the time. You know, no wonder we have these like psychological mechanisms to try and help us deal with the bullshit that's going on. We don't know what the fuck happens when we die, right? Nobody knows. You can have all kinds of assumptions and pretty much all of those ideas and thoughts that make you feel better about it are necessary and they're good because it helps you have meaning for your life and give value to the life that you're living so that you don't just, you know, just, I don't know, lay down and give up. But when we are, if we have this fear of death, what we are, the way that we're trying to avoid it is by getting pieces of death all the time, little pieces of chaos, little pieces of boredom all the time. We're dipping in and out of it so that we can get used to it. And at the end of the day, whatever happens, we will be plunged into both. Um, And I think that having a fear of death is a requirement of the ego. The ego itself is the thing that kind of like helps you navigate the world day in, day out. It's the thing that has memories and tells you how things should be and are and tells you to be afraid of stuff or tells you to be excited about stuff or tells you you're good or bad or whatever. Um, And when you think about what death is, that it's the ultimate freedom but also the ultimate boredom, it means that when you're afraid of that, you're afraid of experience itself, which confusingly is life. So your own resistance to your own death is the same thing as resisting your own life. Does that fucking make any sense? I'm talking myself into circles here. I hope this does make sense. Because everything it feels like in the fucking universe is a circle. There, there, everything is like the backside of everything else. Everything you think is one thing is also something else. You know, there's always two sides to a story. There's always two perceptions about the way something has happened. In your resistance of death, you are also resisting life. And in resisting life, you are also resisting death. Because if you don't live, you don't have experience, you can't take risks, and you can't face potential death. You just numb and you suffocate. And then there's nothingness. I I couldn't imagine anything worse than just nothingness. But I don't know, maybe it would be relaxing sometimes. Sometimes it's a nice welcome idea. Anyway... You're the, what we have here in death is the unknown, essentially. So anytime we start to resist the unknown, we are resisting also what it means to be alive. If you knew what was going to happen tomorrow, there would be no point in living, would there? Like we want to control everything all the time. We want to know that we're safe and we're happy and we're comfortable and we're good and we're good. But 
if we knew all this every day, we'd be fucking bored. Imagine having to play the same movie over and over and over again. It was the only one you ever got to watch. It's a nightmare. So the whole thing about the unknown, the whole beautiful thing about taking a new breath every minute and realizing that that's a brand new minute that you've never lived before is a really nice idea. It's easy to get fucking lost in this and wonder what the point is, but I think it's something powerful. It's a nice idea to consider that if you are afraid of the unknown, it means you're also afraid of your own life. You're afraid of experience. So what I think change is and why change is so difficult is that change is a little element of chaos in your rigid structure of what you experience as your life. It's your ego's resistance to ultimately death or chaos. So when change comes, it's like this little reminder that you're not in control and you don't know what's about to happen to you. And sometimes the change is for the better, but you're always going to resist it. Your body will always 100% come up with some reason why it's not uh, good yet. Or it's going to plunge you into chaos because you're so excited about it, you don't know how to stop yourself, and then you fuck it all up. So... What changes is just purely facing the unknown. Your ego will immediately react by trying to normalize things. And this is really sad to me. This thing sucks. And the only way to kind of get around this is what they call, I guess, uh, nowadays it's mindfulness, um, is realizing like, oh, fuck, I'm reacting from an ego pattern here. I'm experiencing change and I'm resisting it because my ego wants things to stay the same. Trouble is, we can't control the way things change. Things will always change. They're always going to change. The only thing you can control is how you react to the change. And that's a nice thing. That's, a, that's like a little liberating thing. The problem is, is that your brain is a lot faster than you are consciously. So your brain's going to have a reaction, a habitual reaction first. And my habitual reactions are immediately to slow down and withdraw get away from the situation so I can think about it and think myself into some excuse <laughs> or think myself into some kind of acceptance. Um, and sometimes you don't have that time. Sometimes the answer needs to happen right now. And sometimes you have to just trust that whatever's going to happen is going to be okay or that this is not the right decision for you. And how you fucking get to that point I don't know, man. I think our brains are so clever. It's so easy for us to weave a story into our heads that tell us that things are a certain way when they totally are not. Because your ego wants things to be stable. So if at any point you're facing some kind of resistance or some kind of change and you're starting to get a yucky feeling about it, there are two things to consider. One, is this experience going to expand my experience of life or am I running away from something that's going to make me grow? Those are kind of the questions that I start to try and ask myself. Am I acting out of habit and withdrawing and running away or is this thing presenting me an opportunity to grow? Um, and either way, for the most part, I mean, all the kind of decisions that we have to make are not that big a deal. You're going to make the decision whether you make it or not. You know, one way or the other, a decision's going to happen. One of the worst fucking things that I feel is regret that I've reacted out of habit and I've shut my options down. 
I fucking hate when I do that. Like when I have uh, an opportunity to do something and I say no because I'm afraid of failing. And the truth is, that's the truth, but consciously I'm like, oh, no, I'm not quite ready. Or, oh, yeah, I'll do that next week. Whatever the fucking stupid excuse is, it's bullshit. That anytime you say no to something that's going to be potentially growing for you is your resistance. That's a pure resistance. You can fucking talk your way around it all you want to. You can convince yourself that it's, oh, it's not the right time. No. That's your body telling you, you don't think you're good enough and you're not ready. You are. This is the whole problem. We don't know how to take care of ourselves. So anyways, when you, especially if you've had like abuse or trauma or neglect in your childhood, your ego wants to construct a reality that's predictable and safe for you. And safe in terms of the ego is what is normal, not what is good. So people, and I've talked about this a bunch before on the podcast, but people that have uh, abuse in their past will be magnetized towards more abuse in the future. Not because they are a sucker for punishment and they enjoy it, but because their ego is trying to normalize the situation. Their ego is trying to say, this is how we know that the world works. It's safer to know the world the way the world is than it is to accept that the world could possibly be different. That phrase, the devil you know is better than the devil you don't, that's exactly where that comes from. And it's not because uh, you can trust that devil. It's because your ego goes, oh, thank fuck, the world is exactly as I expected it to be. And the problem is it's not. It is not. Every single minute is a brand new minute. And yeah, you might have a lot of historical reasons to mistrust somebody or doubt somebody's intentions or whatever, but that doesn't mean that the new person is going to be that person again. It doesn't mean that they're not going to either. (laughs) And this is the whole fucking conundrum. So maintaining that that, uh, center way, maintaining that path of kind of like clear, free-thinking non-attachment is the Buddhist way of kind of addressing this problem is that you can either get tangled up in your own expectations of things and the way that the reality that your brain is constructed through trauma and experience and fear, or you can get lost in la-la land thinking that um, everything's airy-fairy and nobody's ever going to harm you again and everyone's trustworthy. Either way, you're going to get fucked by one of those two people. And the point is to stay there in the middle, observe your reactions to either one, and slowly make decisions that uh, will lead you to growth one way or the other. If it means being in an abusive relationship again to learn the lesson, that's what it means. It sucks. It fucking sucks. And it's horrible that people are living those lessons. But if they're doing it mindfully and objectively, ideally, eventually, they'll have enough self-awareness to uh, get the help they need to get out. That's just, that's kind of roughly the idea here. Not saying that it's everybody's fault that they get into abusive relationships for fuck's sake, but um, there are reasons why we stay in situations that are probably more psychologically entrenched than we understand them. Um, One of the key things, too, that I think is helpful when uh, addressing this kind of chaos is how. When you start to feel like your ego is starting to cling on to something and you start to feel bad, that's a good indicator that something, uh, an an unconscious pattern is being triggered. 
also when you start to feel really um, overconfident, like uh, have an inflated sense of self-purpose or self-experience, those are also key indicators that something, whatever you're doing is not in alignment with this middle thing. And it doesn't mean that has to be boring. The middle thing is definitely not boring. It's more connected. And I, how do I describe it? The, I mean, I, for me, it all feels like the zone or, um, yeah, I don't know, like being in love, like authentically, truly in love. The, those kind of things, like when, you, when you're with your family and you're having a really good time and nobody needs anything from anybody else and everybody's really comfortable. And if you don't have that kind of family life, maybe it's like a pet that you have or a best friend or uh, a good book or listening to a great song, like all of that kind of um, genuine, authentic, present appreciation for something without needing to get anything from it, without needing to hold on to it. That thing is the aim of this kind of Buddhist practice or mindfulness practice um, is that that's staying on the balance beam. That's not getting lured into chaos. What it is is like an immediate awareness experience of your own reality that's not tainted by some bullshit inside your head, fear or expectation or otherwise. So when you're feeling something that's other than that, um, you know, like that you're doing great and you're a badass or that you're a piece of shit, those, or that everyone else is a piece of shit, which is another scary one, is those are m- moments that you can pretty much guarantee your brain is interfering with you, or your mind, I should say, is interfering. That's not your conscious experience of reality. That is an interference from your brain. It's some bullshit story that your brain is starting to construct and tell you about in order to resist something that's changing in your life, or resist something new, or resist a lesson that you need to learn. Now, this is starting to sound fucking woo-woo. I get that. This whole podcast probably is. Um, It's because I'm fucking mental, I think. Um, But also that I think this is shit that's really hard to talk about because it gets stigmatized. And it's fucking been hijacked by Instagram influencer fuckwits on the internet that don't know what the fuck they're talking about. I'm not saying that I'm not one of those. I'm just saying that I think we need to have honest... Uh, discussions about the chaos of our own minds so that we can better understand it and understand each other. The whole reason why we're fucking the world up is because we don't have any appreciation of our own value or the earth's value or each other's value, I think. So if we, I don't know, what a lofty claim to say, like, I'm going to solve the world with this podcast. (laughs) Anyways, um, all I'm saying is that fearing change is basically a resistance to living. And what it feels like usually is shutting down, disconnecting, hiding, trying to control stuff, um, trying to uh, assume that you're better than other people or assuming that other people are out to get you. All of these kind of uh, reactions are the shit that is going to stop you from being able to experience your life in an authentic way. And they're really hard to see through while you're in them. That's the problem. Your brain is so fucking strong and convincing. The amount of times that I've gone into fight camps just dead convinced that the other girl is stronger than me, bigger than me, better than me, smarter than me, more fit than me, 
I mean, just the constant nonstop parade of bullshit inside my head. And then I go into the fight and I do the fight and I do just as well as I could ever be expected of me. And I walk out of it fine. And I go, why the fuck did I just spend six weeks torturing myself for nothing? And do you know what, man? In 11 fight camps, that never changed. The only thing that changed was that I got better at acknowledging that that wasn't my real voice. I just could start to see it differently. It still was there. The voice is there every single day. It's always there telling me I'm a piece of shit. But now it comes up and I go, I appreciate that you're telling me that, but you're not right. Because over time, consistently, you've always been wrong. <laughs> and you make me tired and you make me feel scared and make me feel like shit. And now with comedy, it's the same thing. Like, you still get, it's, it's a different level of um, intensity because I'm not going to get punched in the face, well, hopefully. But um, I still get that resistance. Like when I'm coming up against a new show, my thoughts are always like, oh, oh, these jokes aren't funny today. They've all heard me say this before. This is stupid. This is a dumb idea. Why am I even saying that? I should be writing better jokes. I should be smarter, whatever, all the fucking dumb stuff. And then I get up there and I do my set and I have fun and I go home and I go, why did I torture myself? So I just think that this is kind of part of the human experience and being aware that you're doing that helps you not attach to those thoughts in that moment and let them spiral you out of control. If you are not aware that that doubting voice inside your head is not you, then you will believe it. And if you believe it, then you can start to do some pretty fucking horrible self-destructive things. Imagine if you had a friend, like just think about someone that you really love or a dog or a cat or whatever. And imagine saying all the things to that cat that you say to yourself. Like it's fucking horrific, right? That thing that you're saying to yourself is a fear of your own potential. It's a fear of your own experience of yourself. It's trying to keep you trapped in what you are right now. It's a pure resistance of life. That's all that is, that voice. And it's okay because it's there, uh, initially it's there to protect you. It's so that you can navigate the world in a normal way and you're not just like particles floating along smoking weed in Nimbin. You know what I mean? Like you need to have this, it's a yin and a yang, it's a balance. You have to have a little bit of discretion and focus in order to figure out how to communicate yourself better in this world or whatever. Um, so... The crazy thing, too, is that resistance is really sneaky. Like, you won't even... I, I, I'm saying you like I know you. I have no fucking idea uh, what you are like. But for me, it's like once I've dealt with one doubt, it will come back a totally different way. It will, like, find another avenue to start targeting. If I've dealt with the fact that I think that um, my jokes aren't funny, then it will be like, yeah, they're funny, but they're cheap. And then it will be like... Uh, they're cheap because you're trying too hard to impress people or they're cheap because you're just trying to get a laugh and you've got nothing good to say or they're cheap because you're scared. So there's, and there's some truth in all of those little statements, but that doesn't mean that I have to stop doing what I'm doing and cry in a corner. It just means I have to address that I'm forever growing and I'm doing exactly what I'm doing right now the way I'm doing it. And every day I need to show up and try a little bit more and try and change and try and change. Facing change and looking for change and trying to change your patterns every day is a really fucking great way to start. Simple shit like walk a different way to the coffee shop than the way you normally do. And this is backed by neuroscience as well, which is fucking cool. 
that um, I think I've talked about this a little bit in the podcast and I won't go into too much depth on it because obviously I'm talking out of my ass. I'm not a neuroscientist. But the idea roughly, uh, it's called neuroplasticity and it means that your brain is constantly rewiring itself all the time. It's always changing and rewiring. There's a little protein inside your brain called NGF, nerve growth factor. And this gets boosted when you're in love or when you're experiencing new things, or when you're from the age of zero to seven, you have this humongous surge of NGF. And that is so that your brain can effectively and efficiently, very quickly, wire itself to make sense of the reality you're in and develop you a sense of self-consciousness and personality. In order to boost NGF, there's a bunch of different ways of doing it. Meditation is a great one. Um, Obviously, good nutrition, taking care of yourself, exercise, all of these things are all helpful to help build more healthy cells inside your body, including neurons. But little things like taking a new path when you walk will also start to stimulate NGF. It will start to generate new brain fibers inside your head. Also cuddling, holding people, feeling connected to other people also helps stimulate NGF because it makes you feel at ease. Your body is in a state of either uh, repair or growth. And if you're stressed and nervous and lonely and scared and sad, your body will be in a state of repair, constantly fighting against itself, trying to take care of itself and trying to get you out of the shit. But if you are in a state of calm, patience, uh, love, excitement, then your NGF will skyrocket. Love in particular, they found is really, um, really boosts NGF. And I think this is fucking amazing. It's, it's something to do with oxytocin, which is a hormone that makes you feel bonded to other animals or people. But um, they, I think personally, my theory on this, I don't know if I've talked about this in the podcast or not, but my theory on this is that we, uh, in order to make space for another person in your life, you need to let go of your own kind of like prejudices and uh, rigid ways of being a little bit because you've got to figure out how to kind of accept them for their ups and downs and ins and outs. And so when you start to feel like you're in love with somebody, that's you falling in love with yourself, first of all, because you're opening up and letting them see you. And also your brain is literally opening itself up. It's allowing you to create new pathways and new ways of looking at things so that you can understand their perspective better, empathize with them better, and love them more. So this is a really amazing thing. Um, You actually have better memory. You learn more because you're like retaining more information. It's like you finally found a subject at school that you're interested in, but this is another human being. And the added benefit of them holding you or taking care of you gives you oxytocin, which makes you relax and make you feel uh, safe enough to start to grow. So for everybody that's not in love right now, sorry, you will be, you can be. And uh, the best ways to do that, of course, is to stop resisting (laughs) and hiding and try to connect to more people on an authentic level. And uh, it doesn't have to be romantic love. It just means uh, just having more uh, conscious, connected, interpersonal experiences in real life, for fuck's sake, not on the internet, uh, will help you boost your NGF. So walk a different way to the cafe and actually chat to the girl that you think is hot or whatever, because it might maybe help you write better comedy later. That seemed weird that I used girl as an example for that, and then I tried to turn it back to me, because that is confusing. Somebody the other night thought that I was a lesbian, 
even though she, he saw me with my boyfriend like three days before, I don't know. People are fucking weird. So because resistance can appear in such sneaky ways, it's really hard uh, to know what's fucking right or wrong. And um, even falling in love with people faces resistance too. Like, so it's not all fucking, it's not all roses, you guys. And anyone in a relationship knows that, uh, surely. But especially new relationships, there is this teething period where you are trying to figure out how to be the best version of you for them, but also be really you so that they, you know, you start leaking out the true you towards them because you got to like test the waters and make sure they don't think you're a fucking psycho and run away. That like you, you have this like kind of little bit of unearthing of self towards somebody else because it matters to you that they become a part of your life. And this is where major resistance can appear. We are so vulnerable in new situations, and I am presently in a new situation with a boy that I really like, and fuck, man, the kind of resistance that either one of us is kind of facing with each other is incredible. Because I've been spending so much time on my own and worrying about my own shit for so long, I thought I was like, oh, I'm good. I got this. I'm not. I'm a solid human being, and I am, except for there are little things when you have an immediate feedback loop right in front of you and somebody wanting to know about you, you realize, oh shit, I'm still really ashamed of that. Or I'm scared of letting you in. There's a vulnerability. I had the feeling the other day, because I really like this guy, um, I got scared that it could go away. Like for the first time in a long time, I felt like I had something to lose. And that's a nice feeling because it means that I care. But at the same time, I got scared like, oh fuck, if I go any further down this road, it's going to be really bad if I lose it. <laughs> and it's like, what the fuck? Why would I live my life that way? Why would I run away from something that makes me feel so nice in order to uh, not have to maybe potentially feel hurt later? <laughs> it's ridiculous. So you catch yourself at this bullshit all the time. Um, so now enough rambling chaos about that shit. Uh, hope any of that made sense. I know it's fucking woo woo and weird and I'm about to make it a little bit weirder, but at least this is, uh, me, a white person sitting in here telling you about Eastern philosophy. That's fucking ancient. And I know fuck all about, um, but I'm going to describe to you one method of, uh, managing the chaos in your mind, uh, that I use. And I've talked about this one a little bit before, uh, on the podcast because, it was fucking life-changing for me. I have it tattooed on my body. And not in the corny white people way where it's just letters. I don't know. Maybe it is a corny white people way. Tell me if I'm a fuckwit. I don't know. I probably am. But many years ago when I uh, realized that I couldn't live my life the way that I thought I was supposed to live my life, I fell into a crazy abyss of self-destruction, mostly drinking, led to whatever else, bullshit, meth, and gross things uh, in Darwin. But these, um, this whole chain of thinking was all stemmed from the fact that I was desperately miserable, desperately insecure, and lost for meaning. There was no meaning and purpose in my life, and uh, everything I was doing just felt like another gray day of wasting time. And eventually I just wanted to end time completely. So this is a kind of a spiraling down into 
the pits of what I would call my hell and then walking out of it on the other side to develop a life that I needed to develop. If you know anybody that's gone through some shit like this, it's hard to watch, but um, with some support and uh, maintaining those kind of like tethers of meaning and connected relationships, that person will pull them out themselves out of it. You can't help them necessarily, but you can be there and they will come out of it. I really, really believe that. I think that with support, without judgment, without forcing to try and control the situation, um, that that person will be able to find their way out. I know it personally, and I've seen many of my friends do the same thing. Uh, in saying that also, you know, how bad is it? (laughs) So anyways, when I was going through all this shit and I was fucked, like really fucked, we thought that I had brain tumors because I was having like these weird fits all the time. I was having panic attacks all the time. Nobody knew what was wrong with me. I was totally self-destructing. And I went and saw a hypnotherapist who was a practicing Buddhist lady and she felt... I don't know. I just felt, she felt like my grandma. She was really lovely and connected. Didn't feel like she needed anything from me or needed to share anything with me. She just uh, felt me out, saw where I was struggling and gave me some tools to help me figure out uh, maybe how to save myself. What I went there originally for was a fear of flying and she hypnotized me and we addressed a lot of my anxiety stuff. And it was a huge help. It was a big weight off of my shoulders. And I stopped having panic attacks at least daily. And they kind of reduced down to one every week or so, which I knew was definitely, okay, something tangible has changed drastically. So um, I would talk to her a bit more about stuff when I'd go to see her for sessions. And she gave me this chant. It is Their tradition is uh, called ND Buddhism, Buddhism or Nichiren Dashonin Buddhism. And they use a chanting meditation to sort of get their attention away from the chaos and bullshit of the world and then come back to that, you know, thing on the balance beam where you can act from like focus and strength rather than fear and stories in your head. The phrase that they chant is Nam Yoho Renge Kyo. I'll have a link on my website to a YouTube video that has this chant for an hour that you can listen to anytime you want to. Um, I used to, when I was working up in the mines and coming down off of all the shit that I put in my system the week while I was away at home, um, coming down in horrific ways, like seeing shit crawl up the walls, like fucked up bad times. And I would just lay there and put this chant on repeat in my ears and chant it to myself. It, I'll do a little bit of it for you. It's a little bit embarrassing, but that's fine. Uh, at least nobody can see me. This is what it kind of sounds like when you do it. Nam yo ho renge kyo, 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 nam yo ho renge kyo. And so you just do that. You take breaths in between however much you want or whatever, and you just go over and over. And it's kind of nice. You sort of just get lost in the sound of it, lost in the vibration of your chest while this thing's going. And I think it would be fucking sick to be able to do this in a room with other people too. I imagine that would be a pretty incredible feeling. Um, And so the whole idea of what Nam Yoho Renge Kyo is, is the Buddhists sort of believe, or these ND Buddhists anyway, believe that the entire fundamental idea of Buddhist philosophy is captured in that phrase. And then by studying it, understanding it, and then saying it over and over, you will eventually ultimately end unnecessary suffering in your life. Uh, I don't know if that's the case, but I know that it definitely helped me when I'm trying to get meth out of my system. (laughs) Uh, 
So, anyways, um, yeah. I'll give you a little summary of what that Buddhist philosophy is so that it makes a little bit more sense. I'm not saying that you guys should all be chanting Nam-myoho-renge-kyo, but it's a fucking, I I don't know. I just think it's really interesting, and I was really glad that someone told me that it existed. Um, Buddha was a guy called Siddhartha Siddhartha Gautama um, or Shakyamuni. It kind of depends on, I guess, who's talking about him. Um, and he was a prince in India originally. And his this is the story. His He was a prince and his dad sheltered him from all of like the chaotic suffering of the world outside of his little castle, his little kingdom. So he had basically every money thing he ever needed, every food thing he ever needed, all the women that existed, like whatever he needed, he had every single thing he ever wanted. And then... Uh, but he still somehow didn't feel like he had everything. Like he felt like something was missing. And then he saw like an old guy struggling on the street and he came back home to his dad and he was like, what the fuck is that? What's old age? And his dad's like, no, nah, don't worry about it, man. It's not your problem. You're good. You're rich. You don't have to worry about it. And he was like, nah, there's something wrong here. And then he saw like lepers and sick people and deranged people. And he was like, wait a second, there's an entire aspect to this world that I haven't gotten to experience yet. So although all these bitches and hoes and money and riches are good, I think I need to go and experience what the rest of the world is like. So when he was about 29, I think 30, he left everything and then just tried to figure out what the meaning of life was. Because he couldn't understand how some people could experience one version of reality while other people were experiencing another. And so he wanted to experience it firsthand himself. So he goes out and he tries like every single different kind of religious thing. It, like, um, what's that shit where they... As, I never say this word right. Ascetism? asceticism. <laughs> Anyways, it's where you like don't eat or drink or whatever. You're only allowed to eat food that's been given to you. So you have to beg on the street, no clothes, no possessions, that kind of stuff. Um, then he did this for a long time, traveled around, and then he went and meditated under a tree about the meaning of life. And uh, he became enlightened. Um, and the idea that he came up with when he became enlightened, when he sort of saw clear beyond all of the chaos of the day-to-day life, he developed what he called the Lotus Sutra. Sutra means teaching, and the Lotus Sutra is kind of the finding, the founding idea for how to avoid suffering in Buddhism. Um, it's made up of a whole bunch of shit, but uh, it has basically two major components. One of them is what they call the Four Noble Truths. Uh, the first noble truth is this is pain, or the identification of pain. Two is This is the origin of pain. So once you can identify what pain is, you can then also understand what caused pain. If you don't know what pain is, you will just be suffering and you don't know why. But if you can identify, ow, this is pain, to shit, where did that pain come from? Okay. If you know that where the pain came from, then you know the opposite of that is the cessation of pain or the end of pain. So I've identified the pain. I've identified where it came from. That means I, I know what the opposite of that is. And then the last thing is this is the path leading to the cessation of pain. So once I figured out where it started, I can figure out how to 
not let that happen again or do the opposite of that. And then why I need to put into place a plan to make sure that that doesn't happen again. Now, this sounds a little bit like you're like, oh, everyone's untrustworthy, so I should never trust anyone. That's not the case. That's not what we're talking about here. It is more an objective understanding that you don't want to live in the world of suffering and pain and chaos and shutting down. And so you're always the core realization of pain is that pain is a product of the mind. This suffering is a creation inside our mind. It originates in the mind. The cessation of pain is to come back to the center, not attached to the ideas in the mind. And the path to do that is to consistently practice focus and dedication to stop you from being distracted by the bullshit and chaos in your mind. Um, and then the second aspect of it is the eightfold path. So when they say, okay, here's, this is where suffering is and stuff, and now you need a path, you need to, f- you need to follow the path to avoid pain, this is the path. They call it the eightfold path to nirvana or the middle way, and uh, it is comprised of the right understanding, right thought, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. Uh, so in terms of like your moral virtue while you are operating on this plane in order to live a, vir- a Buddhist virtuous life in alignment with the Lotus Sutra, you use right, spe- right, ac- right speech, right action, and right livelihood, which means make your money the most uh, authentically right way possible with the least amount of suffering for anybody. Speak as honestly and authentically as you can with the least amount of suffering for anybody. Even if somebody cuts you off in traffic, don't be a cunt. Just accept that they live in their own dream their way. You know, maybe they are a fuckhead, but that's not your problem. Um, So then also right actions. So your thoughts, what you say, what you think, are going to lead eventually to actions. So if you're a control, a little bit more of your actions, being aware of the kind of actions that you're uh, putting out into the world, if you're creating more suffering by the actions you're doing, then they um, that's probably not in the right direction for this path. Ideally, cause the least amount of suffering possible. And it's not impo- it is basically impossible to avoid suffering for everybody. In order for me to do a podcast, somebody is suffering right now. In order for me to have a telephone, somebody is suffering. It is really fucking hard in the modern world, the way that we are, to not cause any suffering. But the idea is that you have the right intention. So every time you open your mouth to speak, try and do it uh, with, uh, with the aim to end suffering for everybody, including yourself. Um, then in meditation, you need to have the right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. So you allow yourself the time to cleanse your mind and become accustomed to the chaos of the mind and acknowledge that you're not the mind, but you are the thing experiencing the mind. In order to meditate properly, it's not you don't have to do anything right or wrong. It's just that you have to focus. You have to give yourself, what, 10 minutes a day, 5 minutes a day, whatever it is, During that time that you set aside to clear your mind, really focus and be there. That's all they're talking about with that. Um, Meditation isn't hard. And in fact, this is ever since we did Meditarch in March when I did Sam Harris's Waking Up app, I do a meditation every single day now. Every single day. I I don't think that my, my day doesn't feel right if I haven't done it. And it's the fucking best thing I've ever done. It's so good. And it's just 
It's like our writing on a chalkboard. You get a bunch of shit written all over a chalkboard. You just need a reset. You know, you just need to kind of wipe it clean and start again. Some days are worse than others, but some days it's really hard to focus. But anyways, the idea is it's just a li- that tiny little bit of discipline. I also am in the practice of every single day making my bed. No matter how busy or lazy or tired or slept in I am, I make my bed. It doesn't have to be perfect. I just go through the effort of making my bed. In doing that, it's also now led to me having a cleaner room. Because as soon as I've made my bed, it seems like everything else seems a bit annoying if it's out of place. And so then I just put that shit back. And then when I come home at the end of the day, I feel really happy to have a nice place to go home to. So little shit like this. These are little acts of discipline that give you the right mentality of self-respect and respect for the environment you're around and respect for other people that are going to experience you in this reality. And then the last uh, little section of that is your insight or wisdom And that is having uh, the right view in general of the world, which is that uh, the end of suffering is good. And the right resolve is that the end of suffering is so good that it's worth my own uh, focused determination and dedication to try to continually end suffering in the smallest to the biggest ways. Doesn't mean that everyone has to be out fucking hugging trees or gluing themselves to the road or whatever. It just means that like every little step you take to avoid your own suffering by being clear inside your head, the better you can be for other people and the better decisions and actions you're going to take going forward. Um, So some of the things that can get in the way are what they call in Buddhism kleshas, which are like negative emotions or mental poison. Um, These are things that like sort of dull the mind and... um, they're basically the, these are the thoughts that lead to shitty actions. Um, the three main ones that they talk about are passion, aggression, and ignorance. Ignorance is just not knowing. Whether it's willful or otherwise, if you don't know because you're not experiencing your life, because you're too busy hiding or running away or um, not interested in learning more or not interested in being connected, that's when you're going to fuck yourself up. So ignorance is a lack of discernment. Um, confusion, bewilderment, delusion, buying into your own bullshit, all of that stuff. And now this stuff can be really scary because sometimes you don't know the answer and then you start grappling for it because you're confused and you're scared and you don't understand. And uh, so the Buddhist way of managing that is to, again, go into a meditative state when things feel really fast and chaotic and scary, go into that meditative state, especially if you can chant, it helps because it stops your, it gives you something to focus on. But if you don't want to chant, you don't have to, you you can just focus on your breath or anything else. So when your mind is racing and you're full of confusion and fear, the main thing to do is just give yourself five minutes, take a five minute break, take 20 deep breaths and really count them out, all 20 deep breaths. And you can tell me if it fucked you up worse. I guarantee you, stopping and breathing has never fucked anybody up any worse than they were before. I don't, wow, that's a huge claim to make in the history of the world, I don't know. But when I, I have clients that are struggling with anxiety, I do this with them and it always resolves it, no matter how fucking mental they are, so. I don't know. I, I've experienced it myself. I think it's right. I do it myself. Um, the second one is um, attachment. Um, and this is your sort of passion one. Um, it is an attachment or a desire for what we like. This is desire, passion, 
Um, and on the opposite side of that is anger and hatred. So anytime you have an attachment to something that you hate or something that you love, you are causing yourself um, reasons for fear. Like the thing that I was saying the other uh, the other day, just before when I was talking about I'm having... I am like in this relationship with somebody that I really care care about and the thought in my head instead of being like wow this is fucking amazing instead of that my brain went oh what if it goes away that's attachment that's me suffocating a really beautiful thing because I need it I need it to stay exactly as it is and that's insane you can't control this shit the more buddhist way of dealing with that is acknowledging that I'm having that that desire, I, acknowledging and appreciating that this is something that value that I value, and then taking the right action to continue to value the thing rather than to suffocate it or kill it, if that makes sense. Um, and then pride and envy are uh, pride. Obviously, is having an inflated opinion of yourself, and envy is not being able to appreciate the good uh, things that other people are doing because of your own insecurity. So, all if you're experiencing any of that shit. It's a surefire way to get you out of your present state of being and get you lost in the chaos of your mind. And you, the more you kind of attach to those sort of um, kleshas, emotions, emotional states of being, the more likely that your actions will cause you shame later or regret or make you feel uncomfortable. So if you start to notice any of these kind of feelings bubbling up, it's a the practice, the Buddhist practice or the mindful practice is to go, oh, I'm feeling that right now and I don't need to attach to it. I'm going to let it go. Yeah. So anyways, that's the whole breakdown of that. Um, Nam Myoho Renge Kyo, I'll just translate it. So I don't know. I don't think, I still have a major detachment from what Nam Myoho Renge Kyo means in relation to the entire Lotus Sutra. I haven't really figured out how to internalize those two things together. I understand the general concept, I guess, of that. And then there is this chant that you say. Nam is uh, devotion, dedication, and persistence. So that's like when you sit down to meditate that you said you're going to give yourself 10 minutes. That's Nam. Then uh, Myo is the mystic or the unseen reality. This is like the thing that's humming in the background, uh, like the mystery of life, I guess you could call it. And then ho is the manifestation of real life. So myoho is kind of like yin and yang. It's chaos and boredom together. It's the uh, mystery of the existence, but also the fact that we do exist. We're not so mysterious that we're just fucking particles drifting in nowhere. We are particles drifting in nowhere that have conglomerated into a human being and are experiencing life. That's myoho. Um, and they call that basically the universal law of nature. Uh, in, in a more tangible sense, like if you think about your DNA, your DNA is a blueprint for how you should be constructed and your eye color is the manifestation of that blueprint. So the DNA is in your background going, you should have green eyes if you choose to if your body decides to make it that way <laughs> and then your body starts making you in your mother's womb and then it goes, oh good, the information here says green eyes, that's what we'll make. So that's Mio is the DNA and Ho is the green eyes, if that makes sense. Uh, everything in the universe sort of follows this natural law and it's like, which is like a mathematical, physical code that creates everything that we see around us. That's the idea. Um, Renge is the lotus flower. Um, there's two reasons why they use the lotus flower. It blooms and bears seeds at the same time, which 
means that uh, it's basically a symbol of cause and effect that as it blooms, it's also creating more opportunity for life and then it dies and then it creates more opportunity for life. There's always, in order for creation to occur, destruction has to occur. In order for life to occur, death, death has to occur. It's that circle of life. Um, and the lotus flower also grows out of dirty ponds, the dirtier the better. And these beautiful, amazing flowers grow out of these dirty ponds. And so the Buddhist people like to think that every single one of us has this like internal Buddha nature inside us. No matter how dirty our vessel is, we can always grow the lotus flower. Um, and then Kyo is teaching our sound, and this is the communication of this understanding. So once you have an understanding of it and you... Um, feel like you can embody it pretty well and you want to communicate it to other people to help them end their suffering, this is the idea. And that, you get a bit, the Kyo thing is a little bit dodgy in most religious traditions. Even Buddhism, I've gone to plenty of Buddhist groups and found that they go, this is the only way, you need to give us money and we're the only ones. And it feels just like going to Jesus youth groups and fucking weird cult shit. I don't believe that there is only one way. I think there's ways that resonate with everybody. And I think honesty and being a real life human being without an attachment for something needing to be the thing is kind of the only right way. So is that, is that am I saying that's the only right? I don't know. There's a billion different ways to get into this. If it helps you reduce suffering in your life and you feel like you're connecting better with other people around you, then fucking great. Go for it. You can find your own way to get there. Um, and bearing in mind that I'm talk, I've been talking a lot about Buddhism. It certainly doesn't mean that I am a practicing Buddhist or know fuck all about it and that the Buddhists are not uh, without failure and fault themselves because there is this thing where they go, uh, you know, you have to learn this lesson because it's good for you and then they rape you. Like that has been going on in Buddhist traditions for a long time. People in positions of power that are taking, um, guiding weak people that are looking for answers tend to be fucking weirdo rapists. It happens all across the board. So if somebody's trying to tell you that their jizz is going to lead them to God and salvation or lead you to God and salvation, definitely don't. Unless you like jizz a lot. I don't know. If you like giving blowies to cult leaders, go for it. It's not my thing. Um, yeah. So that's it, guys. That's enough of all that. I will put all the resources for everything that I um, looked at to put this podcast together on my website. So if you want to read any more about any of it, and as always, I love your feedback. Any questions, if you want me to talk into more detail about this, or just tell me to shut the fuck up and actually do better podcasts, great. Tell me. I'd love to hear all of your feedback. It's good to know that you guys are out there listening. Um, besides that, I think that's pretty much it. Uh, if you want to support the podcast, you can at patreon.com or any of my goddamn social media and come out and see me do some comedy sometime. I All of this stuff is on uh, my Facebook and Instagram when I have events. Right now, I'm still doing mostly open mics all the time, so it's not really a big deal, but... Um, if I have a booked show, I definitely want to try and put a little show together next year for the Briz Funny Fest. So there will be some comedy getting around over the next little while. Thank you. 
again, as always, for listening. Hope you guys have a great week, and I'll talk to you again soon.